Uh, thank you, Carrie, for getting us started uh, like that. Really appreciate uh, appreciate that prayer and those thoughts. Um, I have some family news that uh, we've been asked to share. Uh, several several items here. Um, sad to report that Judy Reiser, longtime member of this church, passed away uh, on January 23rd. There will be a small private family memorial service, but the family does ask for your continued prayers. Uh, there will be a baby shower for Rebecca and Jamie Vance that was originally scheduled for the 21st, rescheduled now for February 4th. It'll be here at Brentwood in the gathering room from 1 to 3. Expecting a boy registered at Amazon and Etsy. A uh, wedding shower for Ashton Edgeworth and Austin Mitchell, February 11th, from 1 to 3 in the gathering room. Uh, I don't have their registry information at this time. Uh, then a couple of, uh, couple of other things to mention. Um, uh, Fellowship of Christian Adults Singles, F-O-C-A-S, uh, New Adult 35 and Up Singles Ministry, will be in the sanctuary lobby under the stained glass window today. If anyone wants information about their upcoming event or wants to take part in this new ministry, please stop by and talk to them. And then finally, uh, we have a, a prayer concern for this week. Uh, Pat Ward is scheduled to have a lumpectomy tomorrow morning. Uh, please pray for successful surgery, a complete recovery. Uh, please pray boldly that she will be cancer-free. Uh, and, and, um, and continue to pray for peace and confidence for, for Pat. Um, Pat means a lot to uh, a lot of us. And so I appreciate your prayers. Uh, so Carrie started us off. Um, Randall taught the first two weeks here in this room. Phil taught last week, and he uh, is not with us here today. He's leading the combined class at West End. I was at West End the first week, so it's been a lot of back and forth. I guess none of the four of us who are shepherds have uh, heard, uh, you know, the entire series here. I did get to, to catch Randall's class two weeks ago. Just really appreciate sort of how you've set the table uh, in those first two weeks. And, and I will say a little bit about that by way of review here uh, in a few moments. Uh, but it's so good to kind of have the flock all in one room to put names with faces and, and try to renew some connections or strengthen, strengthen some of those connections. Um, <clears throat> Let me say a little bit about who I am. Uh, I am the, the newest shepherd among the four of us, and it's not even close, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, came on, <laughs> I came on in the, with the recent edition of, uh, of Shepherds uh, just, just this fall, and it's, it's been such a privilege uh, so far. Uh, yesterday was a busy day here, uh, as many days are. I, I've learned so much since being a shepherd about what happens in this building on days when most of us aren't here. Yesterday I was up here with the um, premarital group, 
doing a session for them on personality type and uh, how that affects their, uh, their relationships. And then uh, we were back up here last night for a dinner honoring the young parents uh, uh, who, who will be participating in the baby blessing this morning. And that, that was so special. And um, <clears throat> my wife Anna and I, we were at a table with three couples. Uh, we, we figured out their three babies were each born within a month of one another. And it was such a privilege to share with them that when, when our son uh, Sam was born uh, in May of 2004, uh, he's in this picture here. This is not a forced perspective issue. He's really that big. <laughs> he, uh, uh, that's, that's a pretty actually accurate uh, uh, representation of us. Uh, Tell him his shoe size. Uh, 15. <laughs> but it has, it's been 15 since he was 15. You know, people say act your age, not your shoe size. And he, it was the same for a while. Uh, but uh, Sam, a graduate of, of Miss Dell's class, among others. That's why he's uh, so wonderful today. That's why he's so wonderful today. <laughs> right. Th this will mean something to oh, you. I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah. So, well, in, I was able to share with those parents last night. In May of 2004, um, Sam was born, Prady Martin was born, Ben Colvette was born, uh, Luke Harlan Clay and Holt Jackson, every one of those kids was together at senior night. And, and I, I just told them, if y'all are fortunate enough to be at this church for the next you know, 18 years, what a blessing that really is. And you, Paul, they were all in that class but all of them were in that class. But all the others, that's, that's really something. So. Uh, but just for those of you I don't know, uh, my name is Dave Morgan, my wife Anna, uh, this, my daughter Emma uh, engaged to be married in October, uh, and, uh, and my son Sam, and we've been a part of Otter Creek, we came in 2001, which was the same year that, uh, that I took a job at Lipscomb University where uh, I'm still employed today. I worked for about a dozen years as a therapist in the University Counseling Center. And then in 2012, we started the Marriage and Family Therapy uh, graduate program. Woo! Uh, there we go, Seth. We got a, a current student about to walk in May, Seth Frank. And um, uh, walk in May, but it's a mean trick because they still have to go to school through August. <laughs> we don't have an August uh, ceremony. So. But uh, about to walk in May and, uh, and uh, teaching in that program, and students like Seth and, and so many other great students over the years, uh, has, has, been, uh, has been really wonderful. And I don't, I don't want to uh, choose one moment in my time at Otter Creek uh, that's any more important than any other um, but if I had to, <laughs> I coached flag football for years and years and years, and we lost every year in the finals to Brentwood Hills. And, uh, my last year, I was just really an assistant under Colton Smith. He really led this deal, but we finally won, and I, I, 
I retired on top. <laughs> not, gonna, not going to go back and do that again. But uh, it, it was really wonderful. So again, I appreciate the shepherds who've, who've taught uh, before. And like I said, I taught chapter one at uh, West End. And um, a few things that we've established so far coming out of Colossians. So Paul is writing to a church in Colossae that, that uh, as far as we know, he's not had any personal interaction with. Um, and uh, I do think that likely affects some of the, the things he includes or, or doesn't. Um, his knowledge of, of these churches comes uh, from others, Epaphras in, in particular, uh, the letter focuses a great deal on, on thankfulness and gratitude. Uh, there's an emphasis at times on forgiveness and on the role of Christ in the life of believers. Christ is supreme, not just another deity. You know, that in the culture of the people that are receiving this letter, there are, there are many different philosophies, many different... Um, options for religious belief. And it's very important to establish here that Christ isn't one, one more option, to, you know, sort of on a menu of, uh, of deities, on a, on a, on a menu of, of spiritual leaders, that, that he is supreme and the mystery of the gospel is Christ in us. And that's a real emphasis in particular in chapter 1. You know, it's, it's, Paul keeps pointing back to Jesus. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And, and I, I shared this at West End on, uh, on the first week. Uh, some of you may know the, the old joke about the Sunday school teacher that uh, asked the, the children, what's gray with a bushy tail and stores up? Uh, nuts for winter. And one kid raises their hand and says, sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. <laughs> that's, that, you know, if, you, if you've grown up in church, right, uh, you, you might get numb to this, this idea of the supremacy of Jesus, you know, that, that, that it, it's, it's about him. And it's about Christ in us. But, but Paul, uh, he just keeps putting the emphasis there, right? Uh, he uh, turns his attention later in the letter that, to things that cause divisions among us. You know, the, our, our backgrounds, our cultures, our genders, those are earthly things that uh, are tossed away with the old life. And that mutuality and unity are what makes life in Christ unique that we're no longer in competition with one another, that, that this is a new and different kind of community. And this obviously isn't the only time that we see this from Paul. You know, uh, he, he talks about this uh, in a number of, of his letters, certainly. Uh, I want to take a look. There's really, chapter 4 is not a particularly lengthy chapter. There's really a, a couple of distinct sections here. Uh, there's what we have uh, that we'll look at here in a minute on screen, and then there's a long section of, of salutations where he calls out a number of people by name. 
But uh, here, kind of in, in summary of the first three chapters, but also in transition to those salutations at the end, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, really interesting phrase there is almost an identical phrase in Ephesians, I think, around chapter 5. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Uh, we, we've said in the past, and one of the things that Randall did such a good job of establishing is that this letter wasn't written to Otter Creek in 2024. It was written to this church in Colossae, a particular group of people at a particular time. So it's not written to us, but it is written for us that, that, that we can benefit from. Things that we read uh, here, and of course in all of, all of the epistles, right? Uh, there are principles here for us. And uh, in light of Josh's ongoing series on flourishing, on mental health, there's a couple things here that, that really kind of emerged for me that, that I think are relevant uh, to, to that topic. I just want to highlight a couple of things here that I believe are instructive for us when it comes to human flourishing and the health of our uh, relationships. Now, what I'm not suggesting is that Colossians is a mental health text, right? Uh, I'm not suggesting that uh, at all. Uh, what I am suggesting is there are often intersections between the abundant life that God offers and things that we think we know about mental and relational health. In fact, one of my favorite things about getting to work and teach in the context of an institution uh, where faith informs, our learning, you know, faith informs our learning is I love finding those connection points. You know, some piece of scholarship that has illuminated something about enhancing the human experience that we've seen in Scripture, right, for thousands of years. Just, just one quick example of that. Uh, there was really uh, um, significant work that was done in the middle part of the last century by a scholar named Robert Sternberg where he took a look at love. What, what is true across consummate loving relationships? He did uh, a lot of uh, structured interviews with these long-term intact couples. And he found three things that were true consistently across these couples. He found passion. He found intimacy. And he found commitment which is really helpful. As a marriage and family therapist, that helps me to, to sort of assess people I might be working with, right? Is there still a, a, an attraction? Is there still a passion here, right? 
intimacy? What, 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 do you have a friendship? Do you have a mutual relationship that you can still enjoy? And then commitment. Are you still making that choice on a day-to-day basis to be with one another? Really helpful. The Hebrews had three words for love thousands of years ago. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I know some. They work down the hall from me. Uh, I know Greek scholars and Hebrew scholars. It's a wonderful resource, right? Uh, but from what I'm told, you know, uh, that the Hebrew word dode, very similar to what Robert Sternberg called passion, right? The Hebrew word raya, very similar to what Sternberg called Intimacy and the word ahava, very similar to commitment. So we, we've discovered a thing that we could have already seen through Scripture. So uh, with, with that kind of spirit, I, I take a look at this, and I think I see a couple of things that emerge. Um, at least one instruction about our internal life the habit of our minds, habits of our mind, and at least one instruction about our external life, our relationships. Uh, So just a couple of applications to consider. An internal practice of gratitude. Right, again, looking back here, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And this is something Paul has been talking about earlier in the letter as well. Thankfulness, gratitude. So we see this uh, internal practice of gratitude. But we also see this um, sort of more externally focused practice of graciousness, right? Again, going back and looking. um, Let your conversation, uh, well... When you're, when, you're, when you're interacting with outsiders, make the most of those opportunities. Let your conversation always be always full of grace. So, in terms of our own experience, the habit of our mind, there's an emphasis on gratitude. In terms of how we interact with others, there's an emphasis on grace and being gracious to others. Um, gratitude is an important habit of the mind. There was a study done by the National Institute of Mental Health um, published around 2008 that suggested the possibility that you have approximately 60,000 thoughts a day. Now, I'm not a cognitive psychologist. Dr. Turner, you would know more about this than I do as as a therapist, but um, I don't know how they measure that, Paul. I have no idea, right? But 60,000 thoughts a day. And, and b- before you think, well, they're giving me too much credit. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no way I have 60,000 thoughts a day, right? Uh, the, the rest of this is important. 60,000 thoughts a day, 95% of the same thoughts you had yesterday. Okay, so in other words, there's a habitual nature to our thoughts, you know, that what we thought yesterday, for the most part, tends to be what we're thinking about today and what we'll be thinking about tomorrow. Now, the 
part that really caught my attention about that, though, is that the, the majority of the habitual thoughts, so more often than not, the habitual thoughts are what the researchers classified as negative thoughts, distorted thoughts, you know, self, often self-defeating thoughts. Now, for someone like me, that's, that's, that's really interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about how can my clients improve this part of their life? How can they improve their thought life so, so that they're not just overcome constantly by habitually destructive, habitually negative thoughts that don't promote human flourishing? By the way, if you're skeptical about this idea of repetitious thought, I would invite you to go on a bus trip with a group of kids. <laughs> Here's what I mean. So in the 90s, I was a youth minister. I was the youth minister. Uh, uh, I was youth minister first in Alabama where I grew up. And then I, um, uh, what brought Anna and I to Middle Tennessee, we moved here in 1996. And I went to work uh, for a church uh, congregation in Cheatham County. And uh, one of those trips we would make every year was to Win Winterfest in Gatlinburg, and you'd load up the bus, and uh, the first year was the 15-passenger bus, and, you know, then we kind of grew the ministry and graduated into the, the um, you know, the nice uh, charter buses. Uh, but in those early days, when I'm driving that 15-passenger bus, uh, there are two things to this day that I still have a, a negative reaction to from those experiences. One is the smell of Doritos. <laughs> you know, every possible flavor at the convenience store, all trapped in the same 12-passenger bus. But the other is, is a song that they would sing, the kids would sing, the song that does not end. Now, I don't know if you know this song or not, right? <laughs> that, is, that is one that you might wish would end at times. No, it literally, the name of it is the song that does not end. It just goes on and on, my friends. Somebody started singing it, not knowing what it was, and we'll just keep on singing it forever just because it is the song that does not end. All right. I, I'm telling you, 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 you make that drive to the mountains, you get everybody, you finally get to the hotel, you get everybody situated. You know, you're, all, you're the last one to, to, get, to get into bed and to lay down, and you put your head on that pillow. <laughs> it's a song that... <laughs> Repetitious thought, right? The habit, the habit of the mind. This is not the only time in Scripture that Paul writes about this, right? Paul knows that the habits of our mind are so important. It's a part of what sustains him when he is in prison at times, right? Where do I put my focus? Where do I allow my thought life to go? Uh, Philippians, right? Whatsoever things are true and 
honest and just and pure, lovely. I will think on these things. Romans chapter 12. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Uh, Again, I'm not a scholar of biblical languages. I have friends who are. I've been told that that word transformed is uh, very similar to the word transfigured that we see in the transfiguration of Christ, metamorphoo, right? Which is similar to this idea of metamorphosis. Longtime member of this church, Becky Collins, she she was my daughter's kindergarten teacher. She would use those monarch butterflies. Still doing it? Teach, teach the, to teach the lesson about metamorphosis, right? And how things can grow and how they can evolve and how they can change. And, and, and Paul seems to suggest there our, our thought life can, can change, can evolve, can grow toward those things that are um, better and more desirable and that improve our overall mental and relational health. So um, I'm, I'm curious, when you think about gratitude, and I know we're, we've got the lights low so that you can see the screen, and it's kind of a big group, um, but is there anybody who'd be willing to share? Have you found any helpful practices that promote that, that habit of gratitude? Anything that you would share that you think the group might benefit from? Yes. So one of the things that I, I I tend towards like fear of the future. Yeah. So sometimes I think, well, what if I lose all of this? Yeah. And so to me, I really try to focus on, okay, so I've been very happily married for 20 years. Mm. A lot of people don't get that. Right, um, right. So even if something, God forbid, happens tomorrow, I still have 20 years of yeah. wonderful marriage and yeah. kids and job and all those yeah. types of things. Like just the things I have that I wasn't promised mm-hmm. and they're not promised tomorrow. Yeah. So that way I feel like if it does all go away, at least I don't feel like I didn't appreciate it while I had sure. it. Sure. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. It reminds me, in one of her books, Brene Brown calls that foreboding joy, right? That <laughs> uh, just... You know, if I feel too much joy, then, then you know, this, the other shoe will drop. So that's a wonderful kind of reframe for that. Yeah. Other, other habits? Yeah. I've, I've started over the last year, uh, once a week, doing an actual gratitude list. Yes. Where, you know, at some point in my week, I take four minutes and make a list of what I'm grateful for, mm. and then I take two minutes and make a list of what I'm not grateful for. Mm. <laughs> and then I'm able to look back, you know, like each month yeah. and see the changes in my life right. of what I'm grateful for and, and what's burdened me or right. what I'm grateful for. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of helps me mentally yeah, that that's a wonderful suggestion. I'm 
You're very specific on the time. I, I, I assume it's intentional that the not grateful is only half the amount of time as the as the what you're grateful and for. And if it comes to yeah. you, it should come to you quick. Right, you know, right. What you're grateful for or yeah. what you're not grateful for. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, on my iPhone, I kind of do that. I, I've kept a, a list of through my life all of the things I'm grateful for, and I keep adding to that. But at, the, but at the end of one of the generations that I added, my only tragedies were of my own making. Uh, that I had, Everything else is a blessing. And when I look at the few things that I, mm. I, I feel badly about, it, it's, all, it's on me. Yeah, thank you. And you, you keep that on the phone where you can access it. Yeah, great. Anybody else want to share? Yeah. One of the things that... Um, it's hard. I have more of an anxious personality, yes. so I can get bogged down in the nitty-gritty details. But I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and one of the things I've been trying to do, we've been trying to do as a family, is to ask them, like at the dinner table, what are you grateful for, like, mm, on a mm -hmm. routine basis. Right. And my five-year-old really loves cats, so it's like the same cats <laughs> every time. And I'm like, he prays for our cat and okay. all the other cats in the world. But at least, hopefully implementing that practice with my kids honestly like being a parent and yeah. having to play that out it's transforming me right more than it's transforming them right right yeah so just yeah. that sort of thing and then like if there's something that we see that we're thankful for then we pray for it on the moment yeah. um which is a gift when they're younger because they're yeah. not always going to be around me but that's just one thing that honestly in parenting it's it's changing my perspective wow. more than wow. probably them. So yeah, well, it's all the cats of the world are blessed. <laughs> That's <laughs> good. So. Yeah, um, yeah. Build, building the, I mean, actually creating those neural pathways, right? Where I'm I'm more likely to uh, recognize something that that I'm grateful for. David, I feel like there's a practice in Judaism, yeah. ancient Judaism, of counting the many blessings. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you're getting up in the morning, and you know our minds are very powerful, just mm -hmm. like you were saying, yeah. creating those pathways. But yeah. To get to a thousand blessings, and you're right. just just one, two, three after another, dozens and dozens. Yeah. And it's not necessarily to get to a thousand, but to just keep thanking God for what you have, mm. being grateful for what you have, mm. and maybe that's the case of just keeping the negative thoughts out of your mind right. and, and focusing on what's important. Randall, I, you know, you had mentioned in, uh, I think it was the second week, the, the Lauren Winter book about uh, Jewish practices and how they are instructive even to us as Christians, um, which that, that, uh, that reminds me of, I'd have to go back and look at that book a little bit. But, yeah, I'm not sure that's mentioned. In yeah, I don't, I don't remember, but uh, that, that's really helpful. Um, thank y'all for sharing those things, right? And um, I, I love that we can come together in a community and say, "Well, here's something that's helpful for me, or here's something that's worked for me," uh, and I can take that and borrow that, and 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 do it in a way that maybe is consistent with what I uh, uh, how how it might how it might work for me. And that that really kind of leads into that second part, which is the more external, the more communal focus. Uh, that Paul gets to here, right? Um, again, throughout many of his writings, Colossians among them, there's this real emphasis on being connected 
to Christ through connection to Christ's people. Right? That, that wonderful idea in Corinthians that, that we are different parts of the body and we are connected to one another and we are then connected to the head, uh, which is Christ. Uh, and so there, just as there are multiple habits of the mind we might think about, and, and we're looking at gratitude in particular here, there are multiple uh, relational habits that we could think about as well. But one that Paul specifically mentions here is grace and being gracious with others. I mentioned briefly that I was with the premarital couples yesterday. And one of the things I told them is that we have research that indicates the single most important thing in terms of determining the quality of relationship between my partner and I is what I believe about my partner. What I bo believe about my partner. It, it, uh, it may be even more important than what I say to my partner. Now that's really significant because if you look at the literature on relationships, the vast majority of it is about communication. You know, John Gottman and other researchers that are, are very, uh, that have contributed, you know, greatly to um, our field, they, they write a lot about what I say or don't say. But Gottman has also said that what I say or don't say is influenced by, it starts with what I believe. So, uh, some of you in this room are introverts married to extroverts. The extroverts talk a lot. <laughs> what, what, and when that extrovert is talking and talking and talking, what, what do I believe about them? Are, are, uh, they said six times last night that I got to call the guy about the car insurance. I don't think my partner trusts me. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe my partner said six times, call the guy about the car insurance because she thought six times, call the guy about the car insurance, right? <laughs> what do I believe about that, right? Or though, you know, some of you are extroverts married to introverts and, you, and your introverted partner, you say something and they don't respond, right? And you think, uh, they're not paying attention to me. I better say it again. <laughs> Louder, you know? Um, maybe, maybe they're not paying attention. Or maybe, maybe they heard me and they're processing and they need a minute to do that. What do I believe? And, and, and uh, this gets into something that is beyond the scope of this class, but... The idea of negative sentiment override versus positive sentiment override in our relationships. That um, am I in a positive, am I in a season of positive sentiment in my relationship where I, if I can assume the best about my partner, I do? Or am I in a season of negative sentiment where if I can assume the worst about my partner, I do? Um, by the way, I, I, did grow up in Alabama, and I have to be careful what, when I say sentiment. I was work, working with a couple uh, recent. Uh, it's been maybe two years now. It's not that recently, but I was working with a couple, talking about positive and negative sentiment override. And uh, the husband stopped me 
And he said, I, I'm sorry. I just have to ask, are you saying cinnamon? <laughs> I, that could be helpful too, but that's not what I was saying, right? I was saying sentiment. But anyway, again, this is another one of those times where, where Scripture has been emphasizing things, you know, for thousands of years that's been there about being gracious, right? Treating others with grace. And, you know, then science comes along and empirically demonstrates, yeah, that matters. Yeah, that's transformative in, in your relationships. So, uh, internal practice of gratitude and external practice of graciousness. Uh, we have a few minutes left, in a, and I do want to get to uh, the remainder of the chapter, the remainder of it is mostly salutations. Um, Paul is bringing this letter to a close, and he's really modeling uh, in the rest of the letter some of what he had already been talking about earlier in the letter. He's, he's modeling that gratitude. You know, I'm thankful for these people. And he, he's modeling that, uh, that grace as well. Um, Here's, here's the part I've been anxious about all week. Reading the names. <laughs> uh, so so uh, I'll, I'll do my best, okay? Uh, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Just a, uh, this, I wasn't able to be in, in the, the first week here, so y'all may have established this then. But uh, that first name there, Tychicus, he's probably the deliverer, the bearer, possibly even the reader of the letter. Uh, Onesimus uh, significantly especially if you were in class last week when you looked at uh, some of what Paul said in chapter 3 about um, remaking the, the household and how we once thought about household roles and how we think about that in light of Christ. It's significant that Onesimus is a former slave uh, and Paul upholds him to the church here as one of you. One of you, right? That matters. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is, that is happening here. Uh, then then we, we get quite a few more folks that are mentioned. My fellow prisoner uh, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Uh, you have Justice also sends greetings. Uh, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. They have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, and we, we were introduced to him earlier uh, in the book as well. Former co-worker of Paul who's sort of in an evangelist ministry position in Colossae. Uh, had visited Paul in prison, probably updated him on what's going on in the church here in Colossae. Um, 
Paul opened in, in the first part of the letter, described him as a faithful minister of Christ. Um, and so here he's mentioned again alongside a number of other people. Uh, all He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. And for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So again, uh, a number of people that are mentioned who uh, are meaningful here in the life of the church. Um, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Now, Randall, this is way more your, uh, in your uh, sphere than in mine. I read two or three different thoughts about the letter from Laodicea, everything from it's lost to it was just a copy of a very, very similar to Ephesians and was sort of a copy of that. Did, did you come across anything you would you would add? I would, I would say it's lost. We just don't okay. have all the Paul's mail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That, that seems like a pretty common belief here. Um, uh, so then we get here, uh, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry of you receiving the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Uh, grace be with you. That's a significant phrase. Yes. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Paul yeah. typically used an eminentus, mm -hmm. someone who would he would dictate the letter yeah. and would write it. Yeah. But this is a personal letter. Yeah. And he writes it in his own hand. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I, some of what I came across in in studying, and in fact, I, I think I've got something I'm going to share here in a moment as we wrap up from NT Wright that it's kind of uh, in line with this idea is that. Paul's going an extra mile here to establish uh, these connections because he's not been on the ground with, with this particular set of Christians in this place. Uh, and that, that, that may be uh, part of that as well. But you're right, really significant. Um, I, I don't know that time allows for this, so we, you can just sort of think about this. Takeaways from the way Paul includes so many names at the end of this letter, right? In other words, um, when you see that, when you see all these names, when you see Paul taking, being intentional and taking the time to say, thank you to this person, I'm grateful to this person, I appreciate how this person has done this, right? Um, does, that have, does that have additional meaning? Uh, here, here's what N.T. Wright says on the point. This is from his commentary. The point Paul is making throughout is the thousand ways in which Christians belong to one another in a fellowship of mutual love, prayer, instruction, and service. It is undesirable and ultimately impossible for any individual Christian or church to go it alone and imagine they have nothing to gain or learn from other Christians and churches. Um... 
quick editorial comment. The way I grew up, I was willing to learn from other Christians, but not other churches. But I'll just leave that out. Yes. <laughs> something that I feel like is a connection between our attitude and immigration. Please, yeah. And that is um, abundance versus scarcity mentality. Ooh. I feel like when he's talking about all these different people, yeah. he's letting people know we are, you know, he said we're not alone, but yeah. it is that idea that we are not living in scarcity. We yeah. live in abundance. And if, you know, that abundance mentality brings about gratitude, brings about graciousness. That's so wonderful. That's, I, that, that, that's, that's, that's such a wonderful sort of summary, I think. Of, of one of the things that Paul is doing here. Um, the greetings at the close of Paul's letters, there are more here than in some, perhaps precisely because he didn't know the Colossians personally and wanted to be sure to bind them to him in love and fellowship, serve as constant reminders to us of what the gospel is all about. So yeah, we're, we're not supposed to do this alone. Uh, it's not always easy. Uh, and if, if you hear gratitude as uh, pretend things are easier than they are, then I've miscommunicated something. Because gratitude is something that's found in the midst of the heart, not by minimizing you know, or avoiding it or pretending it's not there. So this is, uh, we aren't supposed to do this alone. This isn't supposed to be easy. You know, right, right after Paul says he's writing with his own hand, he says, remember my chains, right? Uh, I'm not in a, in a comfortable, easy position. We aren't supposed to do this alone. This isn't supposed to be easy. And there is so much to learn. There's so much to glean. There's so much benefit in um, being in relationship with those who have come before us in this walk, right? Real people growing in real maturity and in real places, whether that's uh, 2,000 years ago in one part of the world, 2024 here in Nashville and Brentwood, uh, real people in real places impacted by the real uh, Jesus. Uh, let me just say a word of prayer over us, and um, uh, I'll, I'll hang out for a little bit. Um, if, uh, if anybody wants to follow up with any conversation, appreciate so much all of you being part of this series over the last four weeks. God, thank you for being uh, here among us, within us, um, through your words uh, in Scripture, but also through your uh, indwelling in us. Uh, thank you for uh, the many churches, the many congregations, the many um, groups uh, who are uh, do, doing their best to follow you. We pray especially uh, a prayer of thanks for this body here at Otter Creek. Uh, and we pray that uh, we would increase in gratitude, we would increase in graciousness, uh, that, but that we would... Uh, that we would allow Christ to continue to grow within us. And it's through him that we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah.